Hey friends, are you the kind of person that's feeling that the world's getting a little anxious lately? Do you want something to read each day that doesn't take too long because the chapters are short? Maybe you're coming out of a religious background where you used to do a lot of devotional stuff and now you want to have that moment in the morning to kind of set your day out right, but you don't want to do some of the old types of study that you used to do. You want something that's spiritual but not religious. You just want an ancient classic. Friends, I want to encourage you to go check out our new rendition. We call it Tao Te Ching, a playfully sincere rendition. It's by Jeff and Stacy Mallinson. You can get it in ebook form. You can get it in paperback form. If you've already purchased it, friends, please help us out by going on to Amazon, rate it, review it. You don't have to have a masterpiece kind of uh, you know essay there. Just say, hey, thanks a lot. This is a pretty decent uh, rendition of the Tao Te Ching. And I tell you what, it's an important book for you to have around. You can keep it around for a long time. Go back to it. The chapters are like one page long. You'll feel accomplished. You'll feel at peace. You'll get centered and you'll help us out because this is something we really care about. It's a nice way to support the show. Again, that's Tao Te Ching, a playfully sincere rendition by Stacy and Jeff Mallinson available on Amazon today. Hey friends, if you're anything like Stacy and me, you know that contemplation, mindfulness, meditation, watching your breath, finding tranquility in this mad, mad world of anxiety and rat races and all that, you know it's important. But then you gotta run, you gotta hustle, and you think you don't have time. And you definitely have a hard time getting started if you're like me and I'm thinking, I need to start meditating more. I need to get more regular with my meditation. And yet that, that sense that I need to be doing something is just another thing on my list of anxious things to do. Well, this show is for you, friends. What we're going to be talking about on this show are some of the tricks that we've learned, some ways to jump right into that experience of mindfulness and to be meditative with a kind of, I don't know, slacker version, a slacker hack of getting started. Maybe you want to perfect your practice, just like somebody who first gets into some coffee and then says, you know, you want to get to the best kind of coffee and it's it's produced in the best way that's all great you do that you find yourself a great meditation teacher you go find yourself a great meditation conference or a retreat center and get going but don't let the fact that you don't have it all dialed in yet stop you from getting started with something that we think is really really good for us and it's been really helpful for me in the last week or so and I want to share with you some of the fun things that I've learned and some of the things that Stacy's learned we're so glad you're with us come along for the ride let's go Stacy, we're in the lounge. We call it the lounge. It's a beautiful place. We've yes. got a couple couches. Yeah, it's a great place for us to hang out. We often hang out in the evenings. We got our little disco ball, our vinyls in here, got the the sort of bar set up. We've um, got this antique kind of furniture that's 
built into the building, 100 mm. years old. Yeah, we got the vinyl, got so, some instruments. So nighttime, it's got that vibe. And then daytime, you found a, a, a beautiful, wonderful purpose for it. Yeah, and, and you've a, kind of gotten into it too because yeah. I see you, you'll, you'll sit. It, the main thing is that there's this couch that's in the window. And if you sit in the corner of the couch, you can both see the fireplace slightly to your right. You can see, in my case right now as we're talking, we've got incense burning and it's kind of drifting through the room. And then we have these beautiful uh, antique doors. But then off to the left, I can see all of the hustle and bustle of the town. You know, sometimes a, uh, a, a person might be brushing his teeth in his tidy whities or a couple <laughs> might be fighting or a stolen truck will be like, you know, grinding across the street. Uh, but there's also the Oregon Junco. I'm looking now at an yeah. Anna's Hummingbird all in our little the hummingbird birds. theater. So it's like, it's just it's the world. See, and you see the squirrels come by and yeah. Everybody, it's crazy. Yeah, and so in the morning when, you, when you've been getting your coffee, you found yourself accidentally kind of meditating with some coffee. Yeah. So I thought, wait a minute. Why don't I just do my, my Zazen here? And then I thought, instead of doing what I normally do, all right, when you're normally doing your Zazen, you get into the lotus position, you put your hands into a kind of um, cup in your lap. This is called a mudra. You put your thumbs together. Yep. And uh, you've got your, your back kind of gently arched. I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of trying to keep that straight, the top of your head kind of pulling up, your chin tucked in, your eyes down at a 45 degree angle. Soft gaze. It's that elongation of your spine, like yeah. your head straight up to the sky, to the stars. Yeah. And then I do this on the carpet, or I do it on a mat, or I do it, you know, and that's the you know way to do it. But as I found this particular space where I can see some things to kind of watch go by, watch stuff go by, it was very, very helpful. And that really helped me. So I was, I was feeling a lot of anxiety. Just, it was just, it was getting pretty bad for me and partly just, you know, just worries, you know, and, um, I was getting geared up for the school year to start back up. Right. So mm -hmm. when I think as an educator, I, I think about the times that are the most anxious for me, it really is the days between Christmas and my birthday. My birthday is New Year's Eve. So between Christmas and my birthday, that's when I tell myself I'm going to get everything done that I've never gotten done. And I'm going to not only catch up on the things I missed out on the prior term, but I'm going to get all my work done for yeah. the upcoming term. And I'm going to spend time with family and I'm going to get much needed rest. <laughs> and I'm going to start my meditation practice in earnest. You know, isn't I always that, do it. Isn't that, isn't that the truth though? Like when you, you know, you have a window of time and then the list can grow so big of all of what you hope to accomplish. And the reality is, is, Usually there's just not enough um, hours to properly do Doesn't all of it, like right? It. Yeah. So I, I would definitely say uh, <laughs> it's good to have those lists, but prioritizing, I guess, what you need most and being yeah. honest with that, right? And Well, as I started practicing uh, regularly, it did help me start to not just be running around like the Smurfs when Papa Smurf is missing. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. You know, like just everyone's going mad or Gargamel's in town. But to say, all right. What do I need to be doing right now, step by step, one yeah. to each little piece of it? You know. Well, and it and and as you mentioned, it was helping to calm your anxiety, right? It the, was definitely helping. Yeah, it helped. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and and 
this leads us, you know, this is the, the point of today's show, which is, are there ways that we can just give ourselves a little bit of kindness in our practice so that we actually do it mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of trying to think of it as this chore? I think sometimes people think when you're going to meditate, it's about this hard work. And for some people, that's their kink, right? Like some people love running marathons and doing like doing something that's hard. And that's part of the fun for them, Mm -hmm. you know, but if I'm just worn out, I'm like, I don't want to get up. So I decided, I said, you know, I want to get up an extra hour or so, so I can do 45 minutes of meditation in the morning before I start my day. And it is helpful. Yeah. Well, the other thing I realized is that, uh, I had kind of gotten in this terrible habit of when I'm waking up, I don't really want to get out of bed yet. So my, of course, my phone alarm went off. So I picked up my phone, mm-hmm. turned off the alarm. And now it's the time where I'm going to, oh, just push the button on my emails. What emails are in there? Yeah. Or well, I'll push the Oopsie button on daisy. social media and just sort of wake up. And, 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 or if I look at the emails, a lot of times it'll be like the news headlines and stuff. Right. right. And so starting my day, uh, all of a sudden, and if I'm like, not just like getting up and going to work right away, if I'm actually have more time, I could waste a good hour just laying there in bed, flipping through my phone. Right. Right. And already then starting off with all the worries of the world and everything that's going on without even fully coming out of my grogginess, (laughs) you know? And so, Mm. you know, is you, um, this morning you were saying, Oh, you know, do you want to meditate? And, and I was still like, you were asking certain questions and I was still like waking up. I was still, I couldn't like answer questions or process, but I certainly could m- meditate, you know, like mm-hmm. I, that is a great way for me to then wake up, uh, when you need that little extra space rather than getting into the, <laughs> the terrible things going on in this world yeah. right now. You can tackle them later. I would say that that yeah, when I'm getting up in the morning and I want to push the snooze button, this is, this is something that I learned instead of, I always said, I want to do four o'clock, you know, I go to work, come back, do my meditation at four o'clock to cleanse the palate and, you know, do the rest of whatever else I need to do. And I, I like to do that as well, but sometimes something gets in the way there and the morning, not a lot of people are in my way so I can kind of do it. But then secondly, it actually helps me get up because I know that when I get up, I don't have to go right to work and to do something painful. I, now that I know, now that my body and mind know the joy of meditating mm-hmm. at 5.30 or 6.30 in the morning, depending on what day it is, I can get myself to stand up, get out of bed without pushing the snooze button because I know that I've got 45 minutes more to rest. Mm-hmm. But I'm starting to wake up and I'm starting to to get into that space. And it allows me to not be panicked as I launch into my day and try to figure out what of the many things I haven't been getting done <laughs> do I have to do. Yeah. But again, so if I think the very first tip I have is for people to make use of comfortable seating they may already have. You know, like go and figure out, watch a YouTube video, go figure out how you want to really perfect your posture. That's an important piece of it. But just sit mm-hmm. in the corner of a of a good couch, especially the ones we've got. They're not like those big fluffy ones where you're falling back, but it gives you enough, enough support. I also have found uh, at my work, and I've used this at lunch, there's a square kind of chair. You just need to have a cushion that allows you a kind of 
comfortable but flat space, and it allows you to have your your spine kind of uh, you know aligned and straight up. But the point is, the first part is just sitting. Yeah. Don't overthink it. Don't it, don't make it like a religion yet. Yeah. <laughs> just you know. Neither do I. No, it's not. I mean, like even not saying not yet, but not ever. Right. For us, um, I think when I've gone to a yoga studio or somewhere where people were really kind of strict, they're almost like Catholic Mm -hmm. school nuns Mm -hmm. trying to whip me into shape with my practice that, you know, maybe that's good for some people. That ain't my kink right now. (laughs) You know, I just, I don't need that. I just need to get well. I need to find happiness and freedom. I need emancipation from the monkey mind, as they say, you know. Well, the other the other thing, too, and I know that this is not usually something that everybody has on hand, and which kind of is a little beside the point, but the soba bean pillows that we have, oh, because those. they were good in the van for us or in our These camper soba truck. soba husks that I kind of figured out how to use in Japan when I was staying in Japan and just fell in love with these soba, uh, soba bean pillows. And so they, they do have a little bit of weight to them, but they, uh, also they're hypoallergenic. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about it is they're compact so that I was able to bring that with me to the beach even, um, yes. or, you know, so if you're in a space outside and say maybe even like crossing your legs or something in some way, is uncomfortable for you or cuts right. off the circulation, being able to have a little bit of a bolster or some sort of pillow like thing, uh, that you can straddle between your legs is another option that is super comfortable and very mobile minus the weight. It would be the only, um, piece of that. Think of it this way. You've got that friend that has the $500 running shoes and all of the right wicking gear, and you don't want to get out there and walk or jog because you don't have the right gear and you haven't gone and spent a bunch of money on a trainer to tell you exactly how to do your long distance running. Well, you certainly don't want to hurt yourself. Yes. <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of things we do in this life, like get a little bit too drunk or, uh, you know, ride a bicycle without a helmet down a hill or something. There's things that we do that are actually very dangerous. I'm going to suggest that even though it's really good to get a professional expert to help you to figure out how to, to dial in your meditation, <laughs> just go ahead and sit still for a second. Like, yeah. you know, you don't, don't overthink anything. it. You don't need anything else. And I would even say this is kind of true for, uh, and you, you do not answer this, do not say this, but for me, I would say from what I can tell, like, there's nothing wrong with you just doing yoga with a video, um, uh, on, on YouTube, just, right. just sit and just watch it. Why you want to get good at it is because it's great. Like when you find something that you love, you try to perfect it. You try to get it to be really the best that it can be. And there's certainly ways that you could hurt yourself. But generally speaking, like I said, there's a lot of dangerous and stupid things that we do. There's a lot of bad foods that we eat. I think on the list of dangerous things that we're doing, watching a YouTube video about, you know, doing some basic, uh, yoga moves is, probably better than not doing it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and so well, and and, yeah. and the basic thing too with that is listen to your body because if you're in a posture and it's hurting there's like a, a sharp tingle or something like then yeah. stop doing that. Yes, right? don't, yeah. Like cuz you can your if your body if you're paying attention to it then it'll tell you oh this doesn't feel right. There's a difference between oh I'm I can tell I'm stretching versus mm. I can tell I'm straining. Mm. And so if you are mindful of where, what your body's telling you, and then just back off of something where you're feeling too much pressure, you know, or something Mm. that doesn't feel right, then you're not really going to hurt you. In fact, a lot of times in yoga where people 
often do get the most injuries is an instructor adjusting somebody else's body that doesn't quite understand what's going on with your body right. um, or, or even your, cause everybody body is different yes. and they, it has its own limitations, you know, like your hamstrings are super tight. Right. So if they pushed your back in a weird way, which no, I don't think they would. Um, well, but, but somebody who wasn't trained might. Right. Yeah. And then, and then that would, that could, that could do more harm say than good, but you know, your body, yeah. you know, your limitations. So having an untrained teacher is a bigger problem. Adjusting yeah. people. Yeah. Then you paying attention to what your body's telling you in that moment. So, so I think the, the advice we have for you, dear listener, is the first step if you want to kind of jump in on this stuff and really start to understand the benefits. And this is the thing. This is not something you should do like brushing your teeth. This is something that you're going to want to do once you start doing it and um, feeling so much better from the process. And if you were like us, we grew up in you know, American evangelicalism where they said, you know, get up early in the morning and do your Bible study. It's another chore. And maybe people found a lot of value. I think any of us can find value in taking some time just to contemplate any text, right? But there was that way in which it was this drudgery that was added to our list of homework assignments, Mm -hmm. as opposed to what I would have enjoyed was more of a mystical take on devotional time, whatever that would be. You know, it was very cognitive for me Mm -hmm. uh, growing up. But the point being... This isn't like that, and even in that sense. As much as I loved, I've always loved reading about philosophy and religion, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just, well, let's talk about what we're talking about here in a second, which is what is meditation? But before we do, I just want to say, if you want to see a demonstration of the, the space that we're talking about, you can check us out at TikTok. We jumped on TikTok recently, and it's at Dow Surfers, that's at T-A-O-S-U-R-F-E-R-S, at Dow Surfers. Come check us out, but you can also see visually what I'm talking about and where I'm sitting. And one of the things that's important to that whole scenario that we've added is just throwing on a stick of incense. To me, this is one of my favorite pieces of the puzzle. Some people don't like incense in the room. For me, the more the merrier. I want to see the smoke floating by, but the the kind we have here, Stacy, what is this one? Palo Santo, which is one of my favorites. Holy wood. It's the best. I, I just, I really enjoy the scent. There's some scents that, um, I don't know, they throw me off a little, a little bit. dank and musky for you. Yeah. This, this one I really do appreciate. It's bright. The other thing. Snaps you into a happy space. Yeah. Um. And we have, we love the, uh, the holy wood that we burn in sticks too, sometimes for during yoga and some of that stuff. Uh, and that's a great way to do it as well. But the, what's nice about the incense sticks is that it also times, it stays lit until, you know, for about the length of time that you usually want to meditate for about 45 minutes or so, right? At this time, or at least what you allow space for. The thing I would mention about the incense for me, because even at times when I haven't been able to meditate and you have gotten the setup and you put your, um, your music on and you burn, you light up the incense, just me like smelling and hearing those sounds Mm. puts me in a more meditative spot because it's a muscle memory thing. Yeah. Um, This is the, this is the mindset that I'm in now. Yes. And so I, one thing, especially if you're starting a practice, whatever those little <laughs> rituals, if you will, or whatever that thing is of, um, you know, that environment maybe that you set up, if you are kind of 
if you want to be, if you are consistent with it, then it allows your, your body to kind of get more quickly into that space. Yeah. And then if you're randomly even walking somewhere and you smell the incense or something, then it can also trigger that to put you kind of back into that space randomly somewhere else as well. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's kind of all of these things kind of allowing us to know when we're in that traumatic response state that there's another place we can go. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like, So snap back into this other state of mind with these other sense and these other ways of thinking and this other heart rate. Yeah. That's really a big piece of it. Now, um, I, I have to say, if, if you can tolerate the incense, that adds to the, to the space's experience. It also is a way of timing things that seems more natural than waiting for your watch. The watch thing kind of throws you off, whereas you can kind of see it. You can kind of check in on it every once in a while. You you have a rhythm that feels a little bit less panicked. I'd say that's another tricky piece of all of these sometimes is like, what is it that signals you coming out of that space? I was, you know, intentional about that with my yoga classes of like, you know, like a little bell or there's got to be something that kind of like put your mind, you know, like, okay, come, come back now out of that Mm -hmm. into this other world. But when it's an alarm, like all of a sudden, it can be like jarring, right? That is not a way necessarily to wake up to, uh, you know, to the real world from that meditation. And then it's it's strange too, because you think about it, like even our own alarms. Or the world of delusion, by the way, I should say, maybe the real world was the meditative space, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's true. Um, but I would say too that, I mean, the same thing can happen just from waking up from sleep, right? What kind of, what kind of alarm system do you have? Like there's some that are softer and nicer and like there are other ones that are jarring anyway, but, uh, definitely figuring out how to end the practice, uh, is this is the incense is a great way to do it. Yeah. And, uh, the main thing that I think is important there is that you are, you are kind of sanctifying this little zone for a second, Mm -hmm. even if things are coming and going. Now, for me, one of the things I've had to learn is to allow the distractions to exist. If where we are here on the corner in this busy Portland kind of environment where there's, it's spicy, there's action. If I'm worried about every time somebody's got no muffler riding by or the dog's barking at the UPS dude, I'm never going to be able to get through it, right? So, mm-hmm. but part of it is being able to notice but not react to all the things that are going on, including itches on your face, right? So, before we go into other opportunities for jumping into meditation without being overwhelmed by all the technique issues, yeah, uh, let me just talk a little bit about uh, what what the Tao Te Ching and other Taoist texts and the Taoist tradition taught about meditation. Not because we think that's the only way to roll, and we're not very exclusive in that regard, though we, we uh, I think, prefer some of the aesthetic and the, and the philosophy behind the, the, the Taoism approach, uh, the Taoist approach to meditation. Um, but really, meditation is not owned by anybody. This is something that's been common in the East and perfected in many ways, or, or really dialed in with, with with fine-tuning, you know, in the East. But it's something that all human beings experience. They don't always call it the same thing. It's a kind of awareness. Mm-hmm. 
and a quieting of the mind that kind of puts you into a, a, a state that is not asleep, but almost like in a, in a, in a semi-dreamlike place, if, if, that, if that makes sense. Maybe that's not the only kind of way of doing it. How, how would you describe when I'm not conscious, consciously like, you know, sitting there, it's easy for my mind to be just caught up in its own thoughts and its world and everything. Like it just, I won't even be aware of the fact of how unaware I am of my immediate surroundings. So by basically just sitting there and when some of these thoughts or worries come into my mind, I acknowledge them and allow them to sort of float by like a cloud and just say, I can, I'll worry about that later. And there are times when I even like, just to get started, I'd have to like take a little piece of paper and write down that thing just so I could let it go. Uh, but beginning to the point where I can say, okay, I see you, but you're not going to own my, my mental space right now. And so then I can gradually start to let those things drop off. And then I can actually hear a bird that might be outside, even from inside the window or the fact that I know right now, like a FedEx truck is going to, is driving by and it, and then maybe sirens off in the distance or whatever. And, and not let any of those one things also then take me off of a trail into something else, but just being completely aware of my own surroundings. Um, yeah. Isn't that funny? It's like awareness. But what we always got when we were kids was meditation is emptiness, which we'll get to in a second, is part of it mm-hmm. from a certain angle. But the idea is like, well, you're emptying your mind so that the devil can come in. Right. That's what that's what I was told. Yeah. And what's really weird is um, when I have gotten into a deep meditative space is then it, it almost like it's almost like getting transported into. I don't have another word for it other than eternity. <laughs> I yeah. really don't. It's like no, it's, that timeless it's, it's place. something yeah. outside of time and it feels like um it just is like like a almost like another world. I don't know how to say it, but it's like a dimension yeah. that I don't always have access to when I'm It's funny, I was kind of kicking myself for saying dreamlike state because it sounded like it wasn't sober, you know, yeah. or like um it sounded fuzzy. No, you know how like in, there's sometimes in a dream where everything is very meaningful and very clear and vivid, mm-hmm. whereas your actual life, you say, D- did I, was I alive today? Or was I just, did my life just kind of pick me up and like throw me around like a rag doll, throw me to the ground, and then I was exhausted, had a couple cocktails, fell asleep, started it over, right? right. Meditation, mindfulness brings me to a place, like you said, I love what you said, you see clearly the bird. Mm-hmm. When you're caught up in regret from the past or you're worried about what's to come, you're not in the present. And so you miss out on reality. Yeah. And so you become embodied in time through mindfulness. You become embodied by time in a way that allows you to see that from an eternal, infinite perspective. Outside of time. It's really, you know, we can't put it into words. You've got to try it. But this is, this is us trying to convince you if you don't, regularly get into this flow, uh, why it's helpful, right? Because taste and see, right? This is the deal. If you are thinking about what we call spirituality, right? And then you go and you, you're comparing different people's weird ideas about stuff. That's fun. But 
forget about that for a moment, especially if you've come out of, uh, you know, high demand religious involvement. Or mm-hmm. Just, just be. Give yourself the kindness to just be. Everybody deserves this space. And the fact is, depending on what comes your way, terminal illness, incarceration, loneliness, paralysis in, a, in an accident, if you, don't, if you don't already have these techniques in, in place, then those calamitous situations could just overwhelm you. Yeah. Right. But the whole point of this is to say, you know, how can I... How can I exist in a way that is not going to allow something that we don't know is going to happen later on, this tragic or traumatic situation? How, how can we allow it not, to not completely de- derail us? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also say that for anybody that's, I don't know, like fearful of the word, say meditation, uh, I would say that another way to even like maybe consider it or, or see it would be um, opening yourself up to like a, a prayerfulness that's not you saying things or mentally like coming up on things. Right. It's a, it's more like just being able to listen and receive rest instead of doing right. In a sense it's non-doing which is why we like the idea of, of the Tao Te Ching, which emphasizes this concept of Wu Wei, which is acting by non-acting or like what you're accomplishing is non-action. Yeah. It's like flowing. There's like one of those, I don't know, like, you know, like the, the stories, like the, the Taoist stories or whatever. There's a, a, a Taoist person who was sitting there uh, meditating. Right. Mm-hmm. And a neighbor goes over the fence and says, Hey there neighbor. Looks like you're, you're resting. And he's like, no, I'm working. And then he was out there painting the next day. And, and was like, Hey there neighbor, it looks like you're working. He goes, no, I'm resting because when there's like, there is a certain sense of when you stop and that non-doing things come together for you because I think it's just, so you're not just like in that active state of being busy. Um, but things do tend to like get sorted out and get aligned and everything so that, all of a sudden you're not trying for it and this isn't the goal, but like this wonderful idea pops into your head that then you can go and, you know, make this piece of art or, you know, accomplish this like other thing. But, and then when you're in that state, you're just automatically going about it because you already kind of have done the creative work of what that's going to look like ahead of time. Anyway, that's not the that's not the goal of it because I think that it, that is your goal. Unfortunately, you're always going to be searching for something and then none of that will happen or come together because that, but it, it, it organically does often happen that you'll get an insight or something yeah. um, and that it'll bring a certain level of clarity to your life or, or an idea for something that you want to do. I'm sitting there saying, I'm worried. I'm wrestling in bed. I'm tossing and turning. It's five in the morning. I don't want to get up and meditate because I really need to sit here and worry about what am I going to do later on today to entertain the kids with a, a new project, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then I don't know what to do, so I'm just stressed. But when I meditate, I tell myself I don't have to think about that. And inevitably, every <laughs> once in a while, something does pop into my head and I just receive it. I don't get upset about it. I notice it, tuck it away, and then keep moving. So... What we haven't done, though, is talk about 
right? The from different styles. The different styles. And, and, and actually, that's important. There are a lot of styles. That's good to know because if some things do not fit your Enneagram type or your personality type, however you want to think about it, there's a thing that'll work for you. And, you know, as far as, when, you know, mentioning the Enneagram types, you're a one and I'm a seven. Yes. If you don't know what that is, just, that's a, not important for today, but, uh, but it's just personality types. You are at your best when you cultivate what? It's, well, stillness is one of the things that my body needs. And I am the best when I cultivate silence, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so what that would mean is practicing, perhaps, practicing something, Stacey, that where you're not fidgeting and moving could be helpful. Right. However, sometimes it might be helpful, and I think you found this as well, that you take to stretching and some gentle movement in order to be still. Yeah. Does that make sense? So in a weird way, what helps you is 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 the is the movement. I like a lot of overwhelming um, stimulation. Mm-hmm. So I love having the incense and I love having music, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, and so even though I, I need silence, that is something that I play with. And, and I'm still not really sure whether or not I shouldn't practice having absolute silence. Maybe that's a good thing for me. But But the point is, start with what is is going to be whatever, working for you. Yeah. Whatever will let you do it. And yeah, try exactly. It. And like, right. That's why I was saying this, you know, we did get caught up in all of the different, um, you know, the incense or this or whatever, but if nothing else, just sit just on a sit. couch or a chair just somewhere, sit. just sit. Yep. Okay. So now if you go to the, the history of the Taoist tradition, uh, you have some things that are helpful there. And the reason I think it's helpful there and to talk about it from the Taoist position is a, because we've been interested in the Tao Te Ching, but B, because I think the Taoists have been around for so long and there's this, this body of tradition that helps us that will uh, kind of cover at least some of the most important bases. So the, um, the basically there's, there's three types of meditation according to Lisa Cohn, who is a really cool scholar of meditation within the Taoist tradition. Sorry, friends, for the edit, but it's Livia Cohn. And it's Ding, Guan, and Suan. Uh, these three Chinese words that um, that kind of refer to three types of meditation that you can also find in other traditions. One of the things that's interesting is my kind of breakthrough on why I like this stuff was when I read up on Soto Zen uh, styles of, of sitting right? Zazen, where it wasn't me doing necessarily a mantra. It wasn't me meditating on like the goddess Kali. This stuff is getting in the way. I don't, I I don't know what to do with all of that religious stuff. No, just sitting. Once I realized that I could just sit and that that was the whole point of enlightenment for at least one tradition within Zen, I said, ah, that's pretty good. But ultimately it seems that the, these Zen principles emerge from some of the best of the ancient Chinese Taoist tradition of just sitting and being natural. Okay. So there's like an over overlap there. And I think there's more resonance between the Taoist forms of at least some of the Taoist forms of meditation and Zen Buddhism than there is between Zen Buddhism and say like Hindu forms of meditation. Most, right. Uh, Even there, you have to realize that there are different yogas within Hinduism. So there's karma yoga where you're, you're moving and doing something. Uh, there's janana yoga where you are, 
you know, med- like you're thinking about stuff. It's more philosophical. There's bhakti yoga where you're almost like in an ecstatic state of worship, all sorts of different styles. So that's also, as, as we said, important for us to note, but here's what they are um, as the three basic forms of the Taoist tradition. The first is ding. Ding is a word that means decide, to establish, to stabilize, to firm up. It means solid. Mm-hmm. So to me, I think I, I get that image of just you're sitting in that meditative space and you're grounded. Mm-hmm. You could also lay on your back, and you're, but you're like, you are getting solid. But what the most important piece of this is deep meditative contemplation. This is the closest thing to the Sanskrit uh, samadhi. This is where you're super focused on something. Um, have you ever mm. like thought about like times when that's worked for you? Um, I mean, yeah, I've tried different. I've, I've definitely tried that. I would say that uh, the first time I really like fully, I guess, experienced that in, I don't know, like a setting or something like that was uh, when we, we went to a dinner that was, it was called the hidden dinner. So it was like a email thing that all you, all you do is you put your email in there and then you randomly, you'll get an email for possible invitation uh, to a dinner somewhere that they don't share the location or anything. Back in Orange County. Yeah. They'll tell you, they'll tell you uh, what the menu is going to be. It'll be a small group of people that gather um, and then, they have, you know, this meal and they'll, once you sign up for it or whatever, at a certain point, they'll share the location and everything with you. We went to, so one of these, um, one of these and the whole point behind it, which is why we went to this one was it was about meditation. It talked about that. And, and then they walked us through an exercise of, you know, we had, you enjoy these delicious hors d'oeuvres and that kind of stuff. And then, and then after we did, um, like this exercise in meditation where, you know, like they said, like, okay, something right there on the table, just like focus on it. And I happened to focus on a little piece of like a little cherry tomato that was right there in front of me. And, and then they, you know, basically walked us through like, you know, just like looking at the skin, you know, and and like the, the, the flesh underneath the skin or whatever, the whole part of the tomato fully just checking that out and like just focusing completely on that. And when any other thoughts of anything else come in, just go back to the tomato, you know? So that was my experience with that type of thing. Um, I've also, you know, like (laughs) we mentioned, you know, ice. (laughs) Um, uh, Also, I would say, uh, let's say what, say more about the ice. You can just say the word uh, ice and then move on. (laughs) God is in the ice or whatever. But that idea that you can just like stare at an ice cube and see, inside of it like sometimes there's like the cloudiness sometimes the lines there's i think it was 2016 we were in the joshua tree desert and augie looked at a piece of ice and just declared to us oh because we were kind of talking about how i didn't believe in saint anselm's argument for the existence of god called the ontological existence Mm -hmm. which basically says once you understand the understand the word god then god definitely exists and then there's, um, of course, the famous uh, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore, I am, of Descartes. Mm-hmm. And we were in the desert, and we were just kind of hanging out. And Augie had this really – was, he was being provocative. He was really good at this. He would take a thing that would seemed obvious, and then he would flip it on its head. Very, very Tao. But he would say, all right, let's look at um, – Look at look at cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am. He said, "No, maybe we don't exist. Maybe we're just having this illusion of existing because we're this kind of series 
of organisms, uh, this collection of organisms and cells, and, and we think we think. <laughs> That's possible. But one thing he said is true is that God exists, <laughs> for sure. The question is, does God know God exists? Is God sentient? Is God a superorganism? But the point being, what is the mass of consciousness? If you take all of conscious beings together, the network of organisms, the mycelium in the ground and the trees and the communication that we all have with each other and the flow of the tides and all of the network of beings, that's God. It's a pantheistic way of talking about God. But the fact is, maybe God's got, uh, uh, you know, like a book. And God's up there trying to like sketch out the way the universe works, or maybe God doesn't know God exists yet. It doesn't matter. What he's saying is, what Augie was basically saying is, in one sense, in a mystical sense, if you just perceive existence, ultimate reality, you say, yeah, God exists. What is God? Do you need to use that word, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe the better word is to say, I'll call it Tao, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, but whatever it is, it is. The mystic can see it directly by just shutting up for a second and beholding. Mm -hmm. The question is, what is it? <laughs> and then you get religious people then say, no, no, stop meditating. I have done my meditating. Let me write down 15 paragraphs or a whole book on what it is. And then your job isn't anymore to behold it. To behold the sacred, your job now is to memorize my words about the sacred. That's why we were so silly as to do another rendering of the Tao Te Ching because we wanted to set our translation into a framework that could help people understand that very first line. The, da the, the Tao set forth as dogma is not the Tao. Mm -hmm. That's not it. The Tao set forth as theology is not exactly it. Right, But if you look at ice, this goes to that point, ding, ding, decide, settle, stabilize, firm. You take a look at something and you, you hyper-focus, then you close off your attention to all the other things going on around you. That's the game. So the first version, ding, I think is a way of saying you are, you are going to be so focused on that tomato that all of your regrets from the past and your worries about the future fade out for a second. And yeah. that's very therapeutic <clears throat> and helpful. This also reminds me of uh, Julian of Norwich, right? That God is in the acorn. The hazelnut for her. Or, oh, that, hazelnut, but, Yeah, but that's the, the same thing, right? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> it's right there, and that's true. And and you contemplate quantum physics. The, the farther down you go, the more amazing and sublime things become. And then you get out into the universe. We stare at the whole universe you go, man, that's, a, that's amazing. And I think, in, I think you were saying this last night, that, that one of the things as a death doula that you're surprised that people f fear. So I've met people that are afraid of eternity, afraid of... Just the vastness. Just the vastness. Just the, the fact that, um, you know, to not know that there is an end. Because... Everything, it's interesting, and this, as we are embodied beings in this existence, everything comes to an end. Yeah. We come to an end. If you think of what's on the other side as being forever, yeah. then we don't even know what that looks like. And our lifespan is really tiny and a little finite, and then the void outside of us is infinite. So there's that idea of uh, a kind of a, a fear of heights. Mm-hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and that takes us to the second part, I mm -hmm. think. And that is, to your point, 
the value of mindfulness for preparation for death, meditation as a preparing for death so that you can live. To me, it's the whole game. Mm -hmm. If you want to, if you want to game this game of life, meditation is where it's at, regardless of whatever else you do, whatever else you're into, sports, business, art, whatever else you do, you got to consider that the great game is for you to live here and now by facing the fact that you will not someday be here. Yeah. And meditation allows you to do this. And how does it allow you to do it? Well, I think this is bigger or, or a very powerful piece of it is then moving into this other kind of meditation, which is guan, which is to observe carefully, to scrutinize, to watch. But this could be, um, and this has been done by going outside and observing the stars, mm-hmm. just looking at that vastness and saying, you know what? If nothing else, if I want to say God exists, I mean uh, very clearly that I, I don't believe this. I know this to be true. God is you. This is not all that God is, friends. Don't worry about that. Don't get caught up in that. But at least God is you looking at the stars. You are consciousness beholding the vastness of this universe that doesn't necessarily have biological life all floating through it. Mm-hmm. You popped into being somehow, right? You've, you are here. Mm-hmm. And as you behold those stars, that's a wonder. Not just the stars, but you looking at the stars is a beautiful thing to me. The fact that you got to see the stars is a beautiful thing to me. Yeah. Some yeah. days it's not enough. Sometimes I'm still like sad and depressed. But if I ever find any hope in the infinite beauty of you seeing a beautiful night sky, if I can remember that. Whoever you are, or me too, of course. Or that moment where you felt loved and loved for another being of any kind. Yeah. Like. Even a dying bird. You say, oh, I don't have anybody in my life. Have you ever held a dying bird in your hand? It doesn't have to be pleasant. If you're thinking about God as somebody who's orchestrating all this, then it like you get caught up in your mind about how pissed off you are about this. But if you let that aside and just say, there is this moment where you're holding this bird and you and this other being have this moment, that's amazing. Painful, but like, that's amazing. And, and how do you get there? You have to observe it. That's Guan. Mm-hmm. So you're observing all this. You're observing the stars. I think a really great way to do this, this takes me to another hack, right? So, so far, the first hack is sit in the corner of your couch, right? The second is um, go to the beach, Because I think if you go to the beach, people instinctively do exactly what this is. And they don't think that they're meditating. When we used to live down, you know, at the beach, we would take our our truck camper to to Dana Point or Huntington Beach or whatever. And we'd see just people coming, sometimes seeming really sad. And they'd come to cry. They'd drive up to watch the sunset. If you don't live near the beach. Yeah. A couple other things that are very similar. Find a river, watch a stream go by, just see what bugs are coming over into the water and yeah. the the flow of the water. Like the fact that you'll see like little eddies of where the water might pool around somewhere or something. Yeah. You know, I don't know. There's just like you can watch life sort of flow or maybe you don't have water near you. Um, you could be in the desert. A fire. You yeah. know, you can oh, yeah. stare at any kind of fire. Well, let's make that fire. the next one. Couch, beach, I would or say water. some water. Couch, water, fire. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, because the fireplace does exactly that same thing. You are there. You're kind of watching something moving and you're listening to the birds. That campfire thing is exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I, I would also say that it's, you know, if I... 
it's easy for me sometimes to get all caught up, but um, and when I'm looking at a fire, but it almost looks like little alternate universes are being formed inside the depths of that oh, fire, yeah. and you watch them kind of come up, mm-hmm. you watch them burn away, you watch new things sort of you know flare up, you see the different colors, you see the different heat levels. It's just there's it's like almost a tiny little universe and inside there that um, is very fascinating to me when you're really staring at a fire. But if you really want to see that, I think the difference as far as far as I understand it, and I'm kind of digging into it now, a new, you mm-hmm. know, really kind of focusing now on what what are the techniques now. I'm going a little deeper into this from the the Chinese Taoist perspective. But Ding and, and Guan would be like Ding. You are focusing on let's say like some kind of stone, and you're just kind of zoning in on that to blank everything else out. This then reverses that to just l- open the door and let it all in. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say like the beach is an easy way to get started on that or, or the fire because it's not just the fire, but it's the camp experience. It's the whole, yeah. the whole space. And um, this then leads me to my favorite interpretation of one of the most famous koans. And that koan is the master says to the student... Um, you know, what is the sound of one hand clapping? And the, I, I think I've said on the show, the first best answer, I think, is the kid just putting his hand out, straight out the fist or the palm out, facing the teacher with the, with the palm out, just holding that hand out and just sitting there in stillness. That's the sound. But if the teacher doesn't quite understand or if the teacher doesn't know for sure if the disciple understands, the the to me the absolutely most masterful answer to the question is or at least the one that put tinglys on my spine was the idea that if the zen master says what is the sound of one hand clapping you start making noises with your mouth that mimic the birds outside and the falling rain So you're starting to make those sounds, and what you're saying is that's the sound of one hand clapping. That's literally what the sound is. And if you understand that, you understand the difference between what we're talking about, about emancipating our minds through a kind of sober spirituality and religious, institutionalized religion, mm-hmm. where somebody in an institutionalized religion is telling you how to think. I'm telling you what, yeah, how to think what God is and isn't, uh, based even within our, we think we have a full understanding and we are... We're actually finite beings with a limited uh, knowledge space. And how could we ever fully understand who or what God would be yeah. in, with our limited understanding? And so in that sense, any anything we put words to it, if you are thinking that you fully understand God, you've got a false idol. Yeah. <laughs> you've got a false God. I, it, just, it, it just has to be because like you're not going to be able to get the full. Um, it, we can't fully grasp with our limited understanding. So, you know, so if you say, um, uh, even with that koan, if you wanted to, you could say, what is, what does God sound like? You could just make that noise yeah. if you wanted to, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a way of doing it. But I think sometimes for some people, the, the word God gets in the way. And so pff, dispense with it. Like you, yeah. it, it's kind of like that, um, that line from, from Allen Ginsberg, uh, lay down, lay down God. Yeah. At first I got really upset by this. I'm like, what? well, like that's, that's very blasphemous. Don't lay down God. That's how dare you lay down. God means lay down the language about God, lay down theology. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and that's something that we translated also in our version of the Tao Te Ching, which is like lay down philosophy and theology and people will profit like a hundredfold. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like these ideologies that we're, that we're so caught up in the words, but the reality, we were never trained to just 
perceive. No. So it's because in this you can't way. do other people's bidding if yes. if you are perceiving. If if you are just following what you're supposed to do, or you're buying into what they're saying, then you're a soldier for them or for that cause or that project. Interesting. There, we were reflecting last night on something um, when when I worked for a Dutch Reformed church. I was asking the elders, why do they only have communion four times a year? Because <laughs> even though we've ghosted to church, I still kind of do appreciate the certain ways of the symbolism and the understanding of the mystical reality of communion. God is in with an under bread and wine. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeff and Stacy on, on, that, on that page for sure. Now, do I want to limit it to the bread and wine? No, but like the fact that you are there in some kind of um, community receiving and recognizing the divinity of something very simple. That's, that's brilliant. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, why don't we do that more? Well, and, and so often what they would say that they are only, you know, how, how many times do we do communion or we do communion? We do it four times right. a year. And we're like, Oh, okay. Well, how'd you come up with four times? I was like, well, that's the minimum that we're supposed to for our, you know, with our church yeah. bylaws <laughs> or her, our doctor. Like it's like, yeah. So then they only did four, but I think, but what we were reflecting on was the way in which by channeling, by saying, okay, there's this mystical reality. Okay, kids, you can have this mystical reality four times and we're going to make it really stressful and we're making it kind of boring. And then we're going to investigate you to make sure you're allowed to have this spiritual experience. But I, as the church, get to dispense this mystical experience. I, the church, get to do this. And if you get divorced... Catholic Church says, you don't get to have that. If you don't do what the elders say at a Reformed congregation, you get excommunicated. You get, you get withdrawn from mystical reality. Yeah. That, to me, is really interesting. Whereas what this is doing How is do you teaching you... people in line? Yes. So you can't be controlled if you cultivate your own practice and you don't need a guru to do it. You can have a coach, but that's different, right, if you want. But uh, having this reality then makes you essentially a master of the universe, right, because now you're, you're in it. Maybe if master is too strong, you, you do become empowered. I mean, I, I think the Tao Te Ching, as in many places, it says if you let go of it all, you become essentially, you inherit the earth. Yeah. Like the meek shall inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, that's part of it. Um, remember, Stacy. so anyway, so God is one hand clapping then gets translated to being just the sounds of everything. That's what I think is the best of Guan meditation. The idea of uh, receiving now it all in and being able to allow all of the stimuli to uh, not affect you, not to, you don't react to it. So a couple things, a couple things. One is um, the value of fully embodying uh, our, our beings and, and being aware of everything, all of our senses, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so the smells, the tastes, the, you know, the, the way everything looks, what it, what it feels like, you know, um, to, to sit on this couch or, or sit on the sand or whatever, all of, uh, there's a lot of times where if people are in a rough spot mentally, they can kind of, you know, get back into themselves by, by calling on your senses Yeah, and it helps ground you again. And you know what I mean? Like it can help with, you know, again, with that anxiety or some of the fears or, uh, you know, monkey mind, (laughs) any of that stuff, but it can 
sort of calm your whole body and um, bring you back into, again, this existence, this embodiment, this this space of where I'm at. That was, I think, one of the greatest insights. It was the first, I don't know if we still have it up, but it was the first entry into the Dow Surfers, um, DowSurfers.com little essays. Mm -hmm. It was Augie when he had had this realization that he was a ripple on the Dow, Mm. but he was doing his mindfulness work as a host at the... Uh, at, at the restaurant where he was. He was standing at the host stand. And just did this Guan type meditation where he's just letting all the hustle and bustle flow by and he's just observing it. So you can do this anywhere. That's another hack. Do it all day long. Oh, do you remember if you went to church, this guy Paul talks about prayer without ceasing? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know exactly how to interpret that, but I think it might have something to do with this, which yeah. is to say, like, let everything, let everything be prayer in your life. Right. You're in a crowded airplane with a baby crying. You can Use go it. into your mental space. You, Use it. You're in a grocery store line and, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's just totally upset <laughs> because uh, holding up the whole line yeah. because they're arguing over a price yeah. uh, or something, you know, and it's easy to just get really antsy and fidgety and frustrated mm-hmm. and almost like that energy can become, um, a I want to say persuasive, but it's infectious, right? Yeah. But if you don't allow that and then like take in this whole scene and then just sort of almost like as if you're just watching this movie play out or something, you yeah. know, then you can just observe and maybe feel this person's pain. I think it it, it offers up, um, it makes you more compassionate. Right. Because you're not just sitting in there like just focusing on your own irritation or whatever, right. you're sort of seeing the whole story behind everything, you know, um, where everybody's at and maybe, you know, why this person, you know, you kind of get insight into why they're so upset and it maybe has nothing to do with the wrong price at the grocery store, but just the fact that they are like, they can't afford their groceries or something. And so every little bit matters. See if I got this list going so far. So we have corner of the couch. That's a hack. Go into the beach or the water. You know, that's a hack. Um, Campfires. Campfires. That's right. That's a good one. And then um, I would say here everywhere. The answer is everywhere. So practice using everywhere, everywhere you are as part of that meditation and just use this. This is, um, I think, uh, a really... uh, hard thing to remember, but once you do, it's not hard to do, Yeah, you know, if you get into that mindset. But uh, this then takes me to, before I finish up on the types of uh, meditation, I figure I might as well mention it here, and that is playlists. And depending on how much you love making a playlist, make your playlist and just listen to it, like use it. But you've got to find some stuff that's going to be really powerful. That, that's been hard for me because a lot of what you get, if you just go on to you know, uh, Apple and, uh, or, or Spotify and you just, you know, you type in meditation music, you'll get stuff that's good. But like, if you really love music, you might get annoyed by all of the kind of, I like synths, I like electronic music, but it's kind of like, starts to sound like prefab, um, like kind of public yeah, domain, no, can, you know, yeah. you know, music, music made for a kind of a corporate, backdrop or something on, a, on an industrial video. So you really have to spend some time, but once you do, find that music that really 
blows you away. For me, I need it to be to be intense and exotic. I like Arcanta, Upanishad. Well, I'll do you link wanna to that. Share, yes, yeah, share some. Yeah, of your like playlist. I mean, for me, it's like Upanishad. But the reason that I wanted to mention this now is that one of the more interesting ones that has talking. A lot of it, I don't want talking. Mm-hmm. I like hand pans. I like I like um, uh, I, I like hand pans. I like harmonium. But the uh, the there's a piece that I'll link to at protectyournoggin.org on our show notes, and that is something that was a collaboration between the Ram Dass estate, unless Ram Dass was still alive at the time, but Ram Dass is speaking, and this dude named East Forest is playing the music. Mm. And it's a, it's a kind of mantra that he's doing where he says, I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. So he kind of keeps going over it, but that I think is a, is a, is a mantra that you could use. I am loving awareness as a way of just going right to business amid a bank teller line. Mm -hmm. I am loving awareness. So you're either loving what you're seeing or you're the loving presence that's sending out the good vibes. However it is, it's a thing that you could do. And what else are you going to be doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, you could be on your phone. And right. I and I typically am way, way too much on my phone. So anyway, so I'll, I'll add that, uh, one the, other, the playlist, but one get your playlist thing. dialed in. And by the way, also, if you go to Dow Surfers as a, um, we don't do much with it, but if you use the Dow Surfers playlists on YouTube, we're going to, we've got to get Spotify going. But I do have a thing called Etherealistic and a couple different playlists that might have some uh, some kind of interesting music that you want to tap into and, and develop out from there. Yeah, but I know this is a little little side thing, but I was when I was thinking about the grocery store situation or or just sometimes when you you know when you see somebody sort of being combative, you know, in in a public setting or whatever, one of the things that I find interesting um especially with children is that when they don't get the rise out of you that they're looking for, because they want to, th- sometimes they want to throw you off or they want attention of some kind. Right. Right. Um, and when you don't react to it the way that, you know, maybe you're conditioned to normally when you're going to the grocery store and your kids melt down or something, right. uh, sometimes that will actually like switch up the whole thing. Like by you not giving sort of that response that they, that they are expecting to throw you off of your universe or whatever, yeah. <laughs> uh, but being in a meditative s- state, helps you to not just be ignoring but it's being you're you're fully aware of what's going on you're just being less reactive to the whole scenario a great example of this we may have mentioned it was when we were in the desert we were free camping by the in the mojave desert by the colorado river (laughs) yeah Oh, no. I was envisioning the time that we were free camping and the dog came and stole your... Oh, yeah. No, no. That was no good. That was was hard to meditate with that when they stole my (laughs) Chiliriano burrito. No, I'm talking about when we were by... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. You want me to tell the story? Yeah, tell the story. Okay. So there's a time when... um, So when we were... Yeah, we were near uh, a river. Well, sorry. We were... Yeah, it was the river. Yeah. I was thinking it was the lake or a river. But yeah, no, we were near the river and... And there was a time when we were camping and it was a you know free camping near the river and anybody can kind of roll up and there's no rules because it's just free camping, that kind of stuff or whatever. And so, you know, we, it's been a nice, lovely evening. We're seeing the stars come out as it's getting darker. And then all of a sudden this, uh, you know, RV 
pulls up. It's kind of an older one. Uh, and it pulls up right next to us, like, you know, like happens to be our, now our neighbors that are, you know, they could have been any, they could have picked anywhere along the area. Uh, but then they proceed to then also turn on their generator because they're going to, you know, tuck in for the night and they maybe want to run their TV or (laughs) whatever else they're, maybe their heat at the time. But I don't know. It was still, it was, it was, it wasn't too cold. I don't know exactly. Maybe AC actually, that's probably what it was, but you know, it was 115 degrees. Yeah. Yeah, I think we went (laughs) in the cold too. So it depends on, but we're this, this particular day, I think it it was was really hot because I remember, I remember us wanting to keep things open because we needed some airflow. That's probably why we were sleeping on the roof. I know we went up there ultimately because yes. So, at first we were kind of hunkering inside trying to like close off for the noise. And it was just, you couldn't get away from it. It was inescapable. Like it was such a loud through all existence. And, and we were in a Valley and near water. So it just like, it was, it was very loud. Imagine being a a little gnome inside of a large acoustic guitar. And inside of there is a little motor that's just going. And I'm sensitive to, to noise, and <laughs> I'm very sensitive to noise. And yes. at, at a certain level, I was like, "This is crazy!" Like, this is not camping under the stars. In the when desert. is this gonna like? When is this gonna stop? And I'm thinking, okay, maybe after ten o'clock. That's what you see. That's what that's what shows us that there is, you know, some difficulty here with being an anarchist. You you don't want rules, mm-hmm. right? But if you went to a campsite, it would be shut down at 10. Yeah. But now there's no one in charge. Right. So other it, than decency and virtue. Yeah. So it keeps going and they don't even care. They're inside. Oh, they don't care. <laughs> anyway, so I was just getting, this was like so different than the night I had imagined and I was getting really frustrated. And then you came up with this idea and you're like, wait a minute, what if we like hum to it? What if we do ohm to it? So we went out, went on top of the roof of the camper truck. So now not only are we now like not just trying to like hide ourselves with it, we want to hear it louder. Mm -hmm. And then we just started because it was really loud, so we could, in our full voices, just hum from along the depths, to it. Oh, like from the and just shout at the and harmonize sky with it and, and harmonize har- with it. And then then my head started to vibrate. Yeah. and my body started to vibrate, and it was great. Yes, and it was like like our whole beings just like kind of like reverberated with this like energy that was. I don't know. It was really powerful mm. and it was fun, you know, yeah. <laughs> cause it was like, so it's kind of like, if you can't beat them, join them in a certain sense. But that idea of fighting against it mm. made me irritated by embracing it and then figuring out how do I like almost embody it. Right. Uh, then, then I was able to actually enjoy it and get into a meditative state. Right. So when we think about being by the river, this is why I think this Guan meditation is really helpful for facing death because, um, well, part of what this is too, is you lose your own ego in it and you just start to be aware of the whole interplay of everything. This is where I think in our rendering of the Tao Te Ching, this idea of unity, you realize unity and everything kind of comes together. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It means, if you see that in a weird way, if you can see how that bird that's on the the wire, 
when there's somebody that walks by, I can kind of see the person that's about to walk by by the crow making a noise mm. and then moving to the left. So in a weird way, I and the crow have some kind of connection where we're like one in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like there's like, you know, it's crow patterns. becomes my eyes. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, but, um, but, uh, but so one so, more thing yeah. about our story though, but, is when it finally, like all of a sudden it was like close to like two in the morning and then we heard it go, <laughs> and then it went propane. out. Yeah. yeah. It just like, and then it, and it died. And we were like, kind of being like really still. And then everything was so still. Like then all of a sudden the coyotes started howling yeah. and the rest of the world started coming Come alive. Yeah. That was interesting. You know? And it was like, I think it was interfering with the coyotes being able to communicate with each it other. It might've been. Yeah. And, or we didn't hear it, but I think you're right. Not, yeah. I mean, cause I mean, maybe we couldn't have heard the coyotes, but I still think we could have heard the howling along with it Mm. or against it or whatever. But I do know that it was like the whole world in that area recognized the silence and it was just They went back to their business. Silent for a few seconds. They being the critters. Yeah. And And by the way, the shapeshifters, this is the same place where, friends, I have not seen, I was uh, stone cold sober, uh, tired. I saw a coyote person. Yeah. Jump over uh, uh, some. That's what I saw. It wasn't a coyote jumping over. It was a like a, a upright person walking that had the the head of a coyote. This is the only time I've ever seen anything like this. <laughs> you were also very very sleepy. I was very sleepy. And no, I'm not saying it happened. I'm just saying this was is an interesting time. Now, um, but in any case, the reason I say that this helps with facing death is because you start to become breath. I, I wrote a poem around this time. Uh, I think it was the next day, and I wrote it down. And the poem's very short. It is. Last night, I stopped breathing and became breath. Last night, I stopped breathing and became breath. And what I mean was the I, the ego that was doing the breathing, mm-hmm. I kind of stepped back from that. I said, what am I? I am the breath going between the door that's opening and closing, the inhale and exhale. And I am one in some way with the coyotes howling and the trees blowing in the wind and, and all of this. Like it's all part of like, I'm in it. I don't care whether you agree with me or not. I'm just simply telling you the therapeutic value of saying when I face my own death, when I am in my last moments, right? I want to be in that mindset mm-hmm. where I am beholding my feelings, sometimes my aches and pains and the room around me. But I can see a reality beyond just whether or not this particular body keeps moving, mm-hmm. right? So I mean, I become part of the water. I become part. I become part of the flow of things. And I think if you can get that, that's why you know. That's why I think you you're interested in the work that you do as a death doula. Um, it's it's well, helping people kind of like kind of just kind of come to terms with it and in in that perspective mm-hmm. shift. Now, I think in many ways then that this kind of guan meditation is um, analogous to what people talk about with respect to psychedelic therapy, right? We live in Oregon. In the next year, people are going to be legally going to work with folks to deal with anxiety. Uh, maybe they're terminally ill, they're facing death, and they're going to be using cubensis mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms, to to deal with death. And if you read How to Change Your Mind by Mo- Michael Pollan, there's pretty strong 
promise in dealing with trauma through these uses of the medicine. Mm-hmm. But not everybody in the country can get that in a safe and legal way. Mm-hmm. And, and even it still if you costs did, money. it's super expensive. So I don't know how the you know if the world will change, we'll have the kind of the structures for that. But I would say that it's the same. It's a it's the same kind of experience that you're trying to get to. So you don't need if you're uncomfortable, you don't want to use magic mushrooms to get there. Um, to face mortality by seeing the interconnectedness of the system, by seeing the Tao flow, uh, you don't have to do plant medicine techniques to get there. But that does take me to the that does take me to the other thing. We've got corner of the couch, watching water, campfires, observing everywhere, everything all at once, getting a good playlist. And the next is plant medicine. It could be what the the Zen Buddhists would often use as green tea to stay alert through their long practice. Right. Uh, we've been really interested in kava to just kind of get into a mellow state and then come home and kind of sit by the fire. You Mm -hmm. know, um, certainly people have discovered the value of CBD and just kind of toning back some of the, you know, so like if you use these as technologies and then of course, then the much more heroic move, uh, we say heroic in the sense that it, it can be scary and it's not for everybody. Um, but psychedelics with, you know, they might call entheogens, getting the God into you. That is the, probably the cheat of all cheats. If you are not the kind of person that was open to a different kind of consciousness about the Tao and you try a psychedelic in the right setting with the right kind of structures, it's very likely that you will be able to jumpstart towards that way of seeing things, right? You, mm-hmm. you can say, oh, that's like, that's like doing a lot of meditation. But as, um, as Alan Watts said, I think he said once, uh, related to LSD, it's kind of like a telephone call. God called you. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, when you get the message, you can hang up. Mm-hmm. So there is a way in which people think of entheogens or psychedelic drugs as a way to just kind of, like it's a lifestyle, right? That's one option for people. But, you know, that may not be as important, I think, as learning how to live a psychedelic perspective every day. Yeah. And so that's what I think you see out of the 60s, folks like Ram Dass and Alan Watts, they had a respect for this thing that wasn't even illegal originally, LSD. It was it was something that had helped, uh, you know, the dude from AA get recovery and understand kind of the way that he was going to set up Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, people have had these very important and powerful experiences, but how do you stay there? Mindfulness and meditation. That said, you should probably add it to the list if you're trying to just ask, what are some ways to kind of like boop, kickstart a, a mindset that is present, that is, you know, like the be here now kind of mindfulness attitude. And I think that so many of us over the years, I mean, I certainly, I know I did, wouldn't even have entertained psychedelics because of its association with just badness. People are always saying like, was it the same thing as like heroin and cocaine and all this? And is it dangerous and all? We just, nobody really grew up in it. And it's really funny because so many people that 
in the 50s and 60s might have experienced this. It all gets shut down because of the Cold War and all sorts of things we don't have time to get into now. But what's interesting about it is that it's only recently coming back into kind of the public discourse because of relaxing the scientific investigation into it. Mm. You know, so people are doing it in therapeutic settings. But what is it really about, I think? I think it's really demonstrated when you look at it historically, what's, what's going on is whether it's the church or the state or the economic system we're in, it's not in the interest of money, power, and glory for people to experience directly this mystical reality. Not at all. So if you meditate frequently, you are not likely to be bought into the capitalist system. You're just not going to. Well, you're also going to see how, yeah, how much you've, like what part of your life has been like just a rat race. Yeah. And then what can I do to back off of that? And if you're going to back off of that, that means you're probably not going to care as much about your job. You're going to set some boundaries and not bring all your work home with you or to your vacation or whatever else. Right. And it's not in your employer's best interest for you not to be on the clock 24 seven for the most part. Right. If that's all they care about is the bottom line and making money. You know, then they're not going to care about your well-being this or is, the the fact that you have a life outside of them. And the know, more that they can keep you on your toes, and your you your life is your work. Yeah. Then that's where you get your value and your meaning and and yeah. everything from, and not your own agenda or you know what it is that you enjoy creatively um, or like to do, and, yeah. and and experience this own existence in the way that you have fun with it. You're doing their bidding so that what, maybe that your boss can go take vacations to, you know, Fiji or something. I don't know, you know, but, but even the boss can't do real meditation and not put the whole system in danger. Right. The boss needs to go on CDUs and run from thing to thing and make sure that he gets the Get best food, up. the best cocktails or whatever, just sitting and being mm-hmm. just sitting and being reminds you of what really matters. And once you know what really matters, it's very hard for Coca-Cola commercials to really work on you. The magic goes away. Yeah. Uh, Money, power, and glory rely on your delusion. So when you... Your buy-in. Yeah. Well, but your your buy-in to the delusion, you you being deluded, Mm -hmm. thinking that these are the things that matter, well, then... That's the question, you know. Like, if you don't understand what the goal is, what's what's the victory in this life? Mm Mm-hmm. You never ask that question, then they get to tell you what the victory is. The victory is he who dies with the most toys wins. That's the sick, that's the eighties era. That's when like when or capitalism the, vic- the victory is promotion so that yeah. you're making more money and getting higher up the, yeah. the ladder. That's how, cannabis, you, that's how you were I don't think unless you're doing like, oh gosh, the weirdness of the, the Silicon Valley people that are microdosing so they're more productive is a little bit weird. But the uh, the idea that like if you want to be a superstar executive you probably shouldn't smoke a lot of cannabis, right? Because then you might say, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I want to spend time with my family, right? It doesn't make you productive. If you want to get people to go out and and napalm folks in Vietnam, it's not really helpful to have them having this mystical experience saying, I love all my brothers and sisters around the world. I can't dehumanize them. Yeah, It makes you not a very good soldier if you've had a spiritual experience accidentally sometimes as a Case, case may be because somebody gave you some mushrooms or something in 1965 or yeah well, i would say too i mean it kind of depends on also what you're trying to do because so 
say you're doing um, an indica, well, then that's going to help you relax. Indica is a type of uh, cannabis plant, yeah. And then instead, if you're going to go for a strain that is the sativa strain, it might be, it might provide more energy and a sense of creativity, perhaps. Yeah. You know, sometimes it comes with a little bit of paranoia, which is, you know, this is for some bodies and the way it, the chemicals react with you. But what I am saying is certain, even the weed can actually then produce like a creative um energy to it. Oh yeah. That isn't going. So when you say lazy or not, I mean, it depends on what you're, what, well, I would say not lazy, but like you're, no, I don't. Yeah. I know what you're saying. I mean, you you certainly could have the sleepiness of an Indica. There's no doubt about Mm -hmm. that. Um, I guess I'm saying that even if you were getting an altered way of seeing the world through a very sharp kind of experience on a sativa, Mm -hmm. You might use that experience to say, maybe I don't want to be anxious all the time about these TPS reports. Right. See, alcohol doesn't do that for you. Alcohol puts you night, night, and you come back to the factory the next day. And tobacco keeps you through the shift. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say with alcohol too, I mean, it is like, you know, like it takes you into a, a, a different world, say. Right. Mm. But one thing that's interesting is like when you wake up from a morning of like heavy drinking, uh, I find myself like more depressed because it's a depressant. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I, you know, like I don't feel, I don't feel better. I don't feel, I don't feel rested and I don't like, I don't feel like I just had a night off. I feel like Mm. I just hurt myself. Oh, you're saying, so the difference between if you had had, uh, like a little chocolate, uh, cannabis chocolate the next morning is going to be very different from there versus the morning after a bunch of or some drinks yeah 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 that's totally true um and then what do we do in the other world in the in the high-paced capitalist rat race i drink to go to bed and get over the pain of this crushing existence and under capitalism to to kind of forget to forget yeah so you're not aware but then i need to wake my brain back up and so i have like five cups of coffee in the morning yeah and then i have to get through the afternoon you know you have a couple smokes to kind of just like kind of power it back through and you get home and you're just wiped out first thing crack open a beer or a glass of wine you know so that's yeah so that's so that's that and and therefore finding out what we put into our bodies and having that serve our meditativeness is really helpful. Mm-hmm. I would say that all these things, if all, if we're, if we're scaring you with stuff that sounds really scary, don't do that. But, um, do check out Kava because I'm telling you Kava is, is we, we've been having a nice time, um, go into the Kava lounge and it's like, you get to go out into a nice vibe, but you're not getting drunk but you're out of the house. It's really nice. And then you can, it can kind of carry with you for the rest of the week. I, I really dig kava. It's very mild. It's kind of like a coffee that gives you. It's earthy. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, you kind of have to, it's, you know, it's not going to be like, uh, like spectacular. A, well, the, it, it's like almost like if you were to drink almost like a muddy water. <laughs> I yes. don't know. It's not like yes. it's earthy. Yes. Uh, and it, so it's not like sipping on a, a Coca-Cola or <laughs> I have, I have come <laughs> to just love it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, yeah, after I, this podcast, I'm going to ask if I can have one more bowl tonight. Even I, I enjoy it as well, but I'm saying it, it maybe is an acquired taste or at least at first, yeah. if you, you just got to be open. You don't do it for the taste. It's right. medicine. Uh, but it's a nice thing to hang out with and you can have, you and know, I would t- say too, the one thing, the one thing about, um, any of these like things that like, you know, that you put into your body or whatever 
is it addictive? If it's addictive, I don't think it's good for you. And yeah, and the stuff we're talking about none is, of it is addictive. you know, some, like cannabis, uh, there are some people that get uh, psychologically addicted to it. Okay. Um, it's, it's it, genetically, there's just a very small band of people that would, but also a lot of people, well, that, that would be kind of more chemically addicted, like where your body kind of needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, like other stuff like that, no, it, it's, it's like a lot of work and profound, you know, people don't just go like, Oh, I'm going to get up in the morning and do ayahuasca, which we've not tried, but like, right. you know, it, it, it includes a lot of puking, <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a technique but it's it's kind of more like a surgery than it is like a fun and games kind yeah. of thing. So um, anyway, that takes us uh, to the next type of meditation for the Taoists, which is the suan. It's uh, transliterated C-U-N. And this means to exist, to be present, to live, to survive, or to remain. I'm not sure that's entirely helpful for understanding what it usually is associated with. But it, it has this idea of to cause to exist or to make present. So this is like visualization. Hmm. Uh, and a lot of people love this. I'm not always going to that first and foremost. But if you go to our playlist, which I'll link to again, I do have some visualization, uh, YouTube visualization meditations where, you know, like imagine yourself in a cold stream. A lot of the Taoist tradition is about visualization. Hmm. And that's not my favorite. But when I do it, sometimes it can be very helpful, especially if I'm dealing with a lot of trauma and I just need to get my mind on something else altogether. It can be, it can be really helpful. And um, I think it can be very therapeutic, especially for trauma. And I say this not as an expert, but just as somebody who's used it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but this can also relate to um, almost uh, bringing to mind the idea of having like an orb, like a, like a, a glowing ball of light in your heart or in your, or in your stomach or something where you kind of, um, are starting to focus on light or, or energy in your body Mm. or visualizing something in your mind's eye, as they'd say, or, and this is the part that gets the trickiest for us and for others. And the trickiest being that I'm not that interested in people talking about deities and spirits and all that. Like that's not just that I'm like not worried about it, but it's like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the zone where I'm in a state of mind that I'm preferring more secular ways of thinking about stuff for now as a palate cleanser from the crazy religious upbringing I had, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not talking about my parents, but just like we grew up in American evangelicalism. So I'm not really interested in getting into the theological divinities kind of question. However, let's just think of it at a very basic level. If you, if you imagine that you're praying to a specific God or goddess or God, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, this is like a kind of visualization you're calling that presence, like Holy spirit, Sophia, the presence, and you're ready to talk this, if nothing else, if, even if it's just a union kind of archetypal conversation, I think can be very helpful. Hmm. I think, I I think for some people it could be very helpful. The idea of saying, I'm going to imagine even just pretend for a second that I am speaking with an ancestor or a deceased loved one. Mm-hmm. Right. I'll leave that to you, dear listener. But that's what that is, right? So I mean, is that also I mean, could in a certain sense, like um prayer where you're like praying to God or yeah. a God? Like that's that's the yes. And it, but it'd be prayer in that sense of like, you know, like uh Hineni, Hineni, right? So like the I'm ready, my lord. 
where for Leonard Cohen, God is the name that cannot be named. And he says to that, whatever that is, I'm ready. Mm. I think that's a helpful spiritual practice. I think that if you are appealing, even like I'd say, like we, we have this kind of fondness for the goddess Guan Yin. Even if I want to suspend the question whether there is an actual existing entity known as Guan Yin, me imagining that archetype of the goddess of listening to the suffering of the world, mm-hmm. listening to my suffering, mm-hmm. I think can, for some people, and, and it has been in moments of my own life, a potentially helpful practice, just not one that I do a lot, yeah. you know. I think the one time that I did was at that same very night when we were there with the the generator. Mm-hmm. I was kind of mad, you know. It's like, hey, God, you know, like I've never really asked to speak with you. I have come up with words to say in front of other people to pretend like I'm praying, but I've never actually prayed. Make yourself known. I want to see. And I remember laying, um, I was actually on a inner tube at like one in the morning because it was like so hot, right? We had to just go out there and sometimes get wet. I looked up at the stars and I said, God, all right, show up. And nothing changed, but everything changed. All of a sudden it was like, Whomp. I just saw in a moment, nothing changed, but I realized I saw God. I saw like the innards of God. I saw God's intestines. Hmm. It was the Milky Way galaxy. Right, this is a very pantheistic experience I had, but the point being, that was a kind, that was one of the few, maybe I'd say five in the last, you know, when I really was praying, and it was helpful, mm-hmm. and I think I recommend it to people, even if you're an atheist, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, in that in that sense, that it can be it can be a helpful thing. So anyway, um, just just as a kind of a, a way to to talk this through from a, a traditional source, uh, Zhang He, uh, Zhang Li Quan, um, has a text here that's helpful. Quote, it thus means that the meditator, by an act of conscious concentration and focused intention, causes certain energies to be present in certain parts of the body or makes specific deities or scriptures appear before his or her mental eye. For this reason, the word is most commonly rendered to visualize or as a noun, visualization, since, however, the basic meaning of suin is not just to see or be aware of, but to be actually present, the translation to actualize or actualization may at times be correct, if somewhat alien to the Western reader. So you're kind of bringing into reality this visualization, this idea. Now, so we talked about the different ways of, of doing this. Get yourself some earbuds, some noise-canceling earbuds, Look into binaural beats. Maybe you love classical piano. Whatever works for you to get you into that state of tranquility, use it. Um, I really, really love stuff that is intense and exotic, and I love like Indian singing. I I don't like mantras to. I don't spend time with mantras to Shiva. So if I hit that on a playlist, I'm like, mm, I'll I'll take it. Maybe if it's in the background and I don't want to get up and shift it, but I, I tend to preserve a kind of lyric-free yeah. uh, meditation track. And I just I just put them on my playlist and I just shuffle it. So I don't know exactly what I'm going to get and I've got a few hours on that. And that's, to me, very helpful. Um, you can use medicine. You can use the corner of your couch. You can use bodies of water. Um, just a couple more. 
um, acupuncture. Yeah. Stacey, tell me how people feel when they're coming out of acupuncture. I mean, it, and you know, everybody's different, but definitely a lot of people are, you know, they almost want to like go ahead and like take care of their copays and things like that ahead of time. So they can just slip out because they're like, they're in another universe. <laughs> they're like, yeah. they're like kind of coming. They need a moment to sort of like come back aware before they're like brought back into the world of doing, you know, of being <laughs> and having to pay and talk to people and all that stuff. So, yeah. you know, it's like they, they almost like from a trance, like, uh, you know, sleep like state, but it's not sleep. If you don't believe in meridians in the body, if you don't believe in the science of Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine, you still can get something out of it if you realize that you are getting these little pricks in your body that don't really hurt, but do turn your awareness and your bodily response to those things. And it's, it allows you then you're bring, to... You're bringing attention something. back to your body and you're, you're, you're laying there. You're still for basically an hour, right? Like, yeah. All of that, like all that goes into that. It's like a, a, a forced meditation, if you will. Uh, I would also say I, I get there similarly through like a, a either um, a restorative or a yin yoga class. Yeah. You know, where you're just, you have, you know, it's, it's some body movement, but it's that, you know, you're kind of, I'm taking this hour and I'm going to do this, at, you know, this thing and somebody else is keeping the time for me so I can let all my other cares go and then just focus back on being in my body and, yeah. and letting, you know, all of my worries, fears, to-do lists, <laughs> busyness of the day, the, you know, the upsetness of, um, you know, what bothered me or whatever, all of that can be cast aside for, all this time as I start, as I usually, you know, tell my yoga classes when I start that, you know, you can have all that back at the end of the hour. Just be here, be in your own body for a minute. Give yourself, you know, just that, that time of fully just being here and let all that other stuff drop away for a little bit. And again, you can have it back at the end, but this space is, is a safe space to be able to just be for a moment. The very last is one of the most important for me, I think, to share with the dear listeners, Stacey, and that is the float tank. Now, the problem is the float tank is not free. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it is a jump start that I highly recommend, but it's not something that is necessarily easy or accessible to everybody. And, and maybe you don't have one near you. If you're near a metropolitan area, you probably have one or two. But what I want to do is kind of bring our conversation here to a close, just making sure that we mention for you, dear listener, that even though we haven't spent a lot of time talking about it yet, of all of the, the hacks for people that want to get into meditation without having to figure it all out first, but to get their mind into that state that is so important for you to at least taste so that you find a way to get back to it, uh, find yourself an opportunity to really try the float lounge, uh, a float tank, try to get that sensory deprivation for a little bit and see how that works for you. And do it a few times because if you jump right into it, the first time you probably will be irritated by the salt water hitting your eye or something that's going to throw you off. You've got to be able to learn how to get used to it. And I think it's going to blow your mind. I just wanted to con conclude with a recognition of a really great gift that came to me this week. I, I was I was pretty beat up emotionally just by life's 
kind of stresses mm-hmm. and nobody was doing it to me is just I was it's a you know it was my birthday my birthday was also Augie's birthday yeah um we had to go through Christmas and try to figure just out a lot what of stuff and our grief and you lost your mom and, and and my mom died right before Christmas and money's tight so like all that stuff you know but um I said you know what I've got this. I've got this opportunity to go to the float lounge. Let me go hit it. I haven't gone to the float lounge. I used to love it. Used to go all the time. It's been about a nine month, uh, nine months, uh, a year and a half. So you were gifted this opportunity. Yeah, um, as opposed to what did I say, given? Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Given what I'm trying to say is, you wouldn't have been able to go and do it and afford it at this time, but somebody gave you this beautiful gift. Yes. So Sandra Calm had heard about our story. We had moved into town. This was several months ago, and she gave me um, a code to be able to go for free. And I never went because I just felt, well, I I feel bad. I don't want to take something for free. I don't like. It's hard for me to receive gifts, but I really, really needed it, and I didn't have enough money to justify at all spending it on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it can be expensive. Um, on our next episode, I'm going to tell you about how cool that place is. It's not the only place, but it was just a really cool place. We don't get any promotional consideration other than we got this gift. She doesn't know what we do. We just didn't know we do the podcast. But uh, Sandra, I believe, is one of the owners of The Float Shop in Portland. And it was so delightful. And I had one of the most amazing experiences. The only thing, friends, that I didn't like about the experience is I had a few of these panicked moments where I felt, ah, this is going to leave me. I'm going to lose this opportunity to be so happy in this warm water. We'll come back to talk about that, friends, a little bit later. But all of these things, Stacey, these are these are just techniques and tools. I do want to yeah. mention one thing. If you uh, choose not to listen to more about the float lounge, one, yep. one little piece of advice I'll give you if it's your first time trying it, make sure that you have decent uh, ear earplugs because yeah. the one sometimes you might be given could be kinds that especially if you're like me and have smaller ears and stuff like that that it pops out and I would say that my very first time and Sydney had the same issue too uh, was just it was hard to be still when you feel the the salt kind of going into your yeah. ears and especially because she and I both are um, susceptible to ear infections when too much water and stuff gets in our ears. So, well, let's let that be a preview, Stacy, because I think the good listener is going to need to hear a few more things about how important it is to just be ready for that experience to get the most out of it. Yeah. So, do read up. They'll tell you some. They'll tell you some tips on you know the website of wherever you're going to go. But we do have some extra. I think pointers for you to be able to get the most out of that experience. Well, I'm excited to share some of those things and thanks for listening. Uh, Peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said I wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind.
swing out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much. 